Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We're your co-hosts. And today we are so excited to welcome Lauren Barnes to the show, who's with us here in the studio in Salt Lake City. Lauren, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes. We're so excited to have you. We've really been looking forward to this conversation, and we feel so fortunate to have Lauren with us today. Lauren is the Director of Clinical Training for Brigham Young University Marriage and Family Therapy graduate programs, and she specializes in women's issues, including body image, eating disorders, and postpartum depression. So we're very excited to be able to draw upon that expertise today in discussing some of these topics. Just as a little background on Lauren, she previously worked at BYU Women's Services and Resource Center, specializing in treating these and other women's issues. And during and after her PhD program, she also worked as a therapist at Center for Change, which is a residential treatment center for women and girls struggling with eating disorders. So lots of hands-on experience with these issues. Lauren maintains a small private practice, and she's married to Erin Barnes, and they have two children. Yeah. So that's us. (laughs) So as I mentioned, we're excited to talk with Lauren today specifically about eating disorders and how women, Latter-day Saint women in particular, can foster a healthier body image and do that with the young girls in their lives as well, whether daughters or young girls at church or those that they work with. So we're really grateful. Thanks again, Lauren, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. To jump right into the questions, it's surprising to learn of the prevalence of eating disorders and the wide demographic of people affected by eating disorders. Lauren, will you just share with our listeners what we're referring to when we talk about eating disorders and the groups and ages of people who are most vulnerable? Yeah. Eating disorders are really prevalent all over the world. In the United States, we're actually the country with the most eating disorders, unfortunately. Depending on the research you look at, it ends up being anywhere from like 3 to 8% of the population that has an eating disorder. There was this really awesome, my nerd loves this, study that looked at all of the other studies that have been done in 20 years and put them all together. And they actually found that they're guessing eating disorder rates have doubled in the last decade. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. That's really concerning. It's really concerning. So definitely on the rise. So anywhere from 3 to 8%. Eating disorders can show up in a wide variety of ways. The most common ones that we hear about are anorexia and bulimia, and then maybe binge eating disorder. Some people have maybe heard of that. Another one is eating disorders not otherwise specified, kind of a fun way of putting that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And most women that I work with, I would say, fall into that. They're not strictly anorexia, not strictly bulimia, but maybe somewhere in between of meeting that criteria for the DSM. Mm-hmm. So wide variety of behaviors from restricting to binging to purging to overexercising, counting calories, looking at various BMIs in there, various severity and length. So quite a range. Quite a range. And who are these groups and ages of people most at risk? So most people that have an eating disorder fall between ages 13 to 25. And if you think about what's happening in life during that time, right, some pretty transitional times developmentally. So we have puberty, which is probably the most risky stage of life. Mm -hmm. Just your body's changing, right? And you're starting to hear messages from culture and people around you like, how should I look? And people are judging me by how I look. And then maybe I want to feel accepted and of worth. And then also the transition to new parenthood and adulthood. 
a lot of women I work with, they're like, I just want to have the same body I had in high school. So we have that conversation like your body continues to change multiple times in your life, Mm -hmm. but especially as you enter into real Mm -hmm. adulthood. Mm -hmm. It can't possibly be the same because it's doing different things. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you probably weren't finished developing. We know that our brains usually develop from back to front and they aren't finished developing until their late 20s. Your body is still developing and growing. So Lauren, as we talk about this too, I think that there are often some misconceptions about eating disorders, and this may go along with the surprise of learning how prevalent they are, but what are some misconceptions about eating disorders and those affected, and why is it so important that we connect eating disorders with mental illness? Yeah, there are a lot of myths out there about eating disorders. Probably one that I hear the most when I'm working with treating people, their loved ones will just say, just choose to eat food. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not that hard, which really brings it back to this is a mental illness. This is something in their brain. Just like somebody struggling with anxiety or depression or schizophrenia, ADHD, the neurotransmitters are not there in the capacity that they should be. I remember one time I was working with a client and I keep the string in my office and it's just on the spool. And I said, hey, I want you to put this string to what you think is the biggest part of your body. And she did it and she cut it and she literally wrapped it around her body twice. Hmm. And she was like, Lauren, is this magic string? Like, I don't understand. How did you do that? She couldn't believe what she was seeing, but her brain really saw her body. And we call this body dysmorphic disorder as bigger than it actually was. It's a mental illness. Another myth is people are just doing this for attention. Or if I can look at somebody, I can just tell if they have an eating disorder. Most people with a diagnosable eating disorder actually just look like the average person. So as we're seeing and watching for things in people around us, we're looking more at behaviors than a a way that someone looks. And we're Mm going to talk more about that later. The other thing I would add there is it really requires a multidisciplinary treatment approach. One of the things is, well, let's just get them in with a dietitian, or let's just get them in with a therapist, or let's just bring them to a doctor, when really it requires a team. So usually when I'm meeting with somebody in an eating disorder, I require that they go to a dietitian as well. And I actually have a list of doctors that I'll refer to in our local community that I know are also good to work with. Mm -hmm. So it really requires all of those facets be looked at. Yes, which makes it a pretty complex thing to get your arms around and work with. So that's a good thing to point out. Thank you. And Lauren, as we were preparing for this discussion, I think it's easy for us to sometimes think like, well, that doesn't affect us. That's maybe other people face this challenge. But Lauren, you and I have talked about how surprising it is to learn about the high rate of cosmetic surgery in Utah. And what that tells us about is this concern about body image. And we know that not all those who listen to the podcast live in or near Utah, but it is something that we want to note or observe about the state, which is where church headquarters are located. And Shaylin and I aren't social scientists. (laughs) You have the expertise. But how can being aware of these norms or pressure in the region or among women in the church help in these efforts for us to develop a more healthy body image, which we know are connected to these challenges like eating disorders. I grew up in the Northwest, and I remember we would come to visit Utah, and I'd just be really aware of the billboards as we're driving down from the airport or driving into Salt Lake County and thinking, oh, that's kind of interesting. So it's just really important to be aware of the context around us and where are those messages coming from. For me, one of the ways I conceptualize this is 
okay, this is a business model. People are going to prey on an insecurity because they want to make money. Of course they do. Like that's good business practice. So for me, breaking that down. And then also with my clients, I think it's important to look at what am I wanting this cosmetic surgery for? And most people want cosmetic surgery or to lose weight or whatever it may be because they're seeking acceptance or love or these really awesome things that we all crave, connection. Mm -hmm. So what's feeding into that? And get to the root of it and then explore that. And asking if a surgery or a procedure is going to give you what you need. Right. You know, is that mm-hmm. going to give me the result that I'm really looking for, which is these deeper desires of love and acceptance or whatever it is they identify? Right. And like, I validate that. I see that as so real. Of course, we want connection and acceptance. We're human. We crave that. So when I get a client who's like, I really want to lose weight or I really want to have this procedure done, it's really important to get to the root of this. And let's see if we can find some maybe healthier or more sustainable ways of getting mm-hmm. love and connection. That's such an interesting perspective and way to look at that. And I appreciate that. I think specifically in Utah, I've noticed a lot of the culture, which I think it's important that we differentiate between LDS culture and doctrine and practice and policies. The culture around here is very much based in perfection is one of the things, right? We want to appear as perfect as possible. And I think maybe that appeals to some people. So I'm in my early 30s, and I remember being invited to a Botox party in my late 20s and thinking, oh, this is what I need to do. This is hosted by people in my Relief Society. They're all going. And this is what I need to do to fit in with the other women in my community. And of course, I want love. I want acceptance. Mm -hmm. Belonging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of this is like good things. So it's important that we think about what am I doing and why am I doing this? And recognizing that it's not a need. You know, you you, right. you said like, oh, is this what I need to do? No, it's not what you need to do. But that's how you're feeling. And that's what being presented mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm going to just embrace my very animated face. I like that about myself. Mm-hmm. And finding things, okay, I can focus on this. And I'm still friends with all of those people, right? Mm-hmm. right? So that wasn't what I needed to do. And it wasn't I wasn't make or be. break for that yeah. connection. This is interesting to me, too, because we live in these physical communities where sometimes there's this homogenous feel. But then also on social media, there's communities, too, that can become homogenous. Oh, yeah. Yes. So I'm just thinking specifically, too, of influencers. And as you follow them, some of them start to talk the same. They sound the same. They start looking the same. And so you just get this feeling like, oh, that's ideal to look like that and to feel like that. And so I think that that's easy, too, to have that kind of social community online that isn't real, (laughs) but it feels real and it feels like that's what you want to attain. Right. And with that, I mean, I can get sucked into that. So one of my hobbies is cake baking. And Mm -hmm, I follow a lot of these influencers. And I'm like, wow, this mom totally has it together. And look at these cakes she's baking. You know, it's kind of fun for me. So it can be really easy to get sucked into following this really idealistic thing for me. Kind of like a perceived ideal. Yeah, yeah, it's totally perceived. This is what they're putting on social media. Of course, they're Mm going to put their best foot forward. For me, I've started to unfollow people that I'm like, no, this is too much. Like, I need a little more realism here. I need to know that your kids fight with each other sometimes. (laughs) Or sometimes do you not wear makeup or Or not do your hair. Mess up a cake or something. Yes. Yeah, that I can connect with. So am I chasing this high or this ideal thing or am I actually like connecting with somebody? Mm -hmm. 
and being very conscious of what you are consuming, which is this media and the effect that it has on you, I mm-hmm. think is really powerful and is, is easy for anyone to do, to evaluate what is my media consumption like and how does it affect me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole slew of research looking at social media. And I would say in general, we hear a lot, social media is bad or you feel awful looking at social media. But I also genuinely feel social media can be quite good. I unfollow people all the time. They don't know if I'm hiding them on my feed or I unfriend them or I just block them for 30 days. And I try to make it so my social media feed is something that I feel uplifted by. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot of therapy quotes. (laughs) Yeah. Last night I was oh, I'm a terrible mom. So then I'm scrolling through social media before I go to bed. I'm like, I really needed that uplifting quote. I'm doing the best I can, and today was just a hard day. But it's all about what you curate. Right. Mm -hmm. You've made a great effort to curate it so that it is something that nourishes you instead of depletes you and makes Mm -hmm. you feel bad about yourself and adds to those feelings. Well, and then that, I feel like we can translate that to real life, too, and setting boundaries, choosing our conversations, choosing who we spend our time with and where we spend our time. I just feel like that translates. Yeah. What is giving me energy? What is giving me hope? Mm-hmm. And what is really depleting me and making me feel icky? Absolutely. Well, Lauren, going back to eating disorders, we would love to know for moms, aunts, friends, or leaders who might be listening, what are the warning signs to watch for in others who may be struggling with an eating disorder? Some warning signs are probably not what most people would think. Going back to the myths, we think, well, well, no, because her body is shrinking or her body is becoming larger. Or she's visibly not eating in front of people, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, most people with eating disorders are really intelligent and really smart about what they do. So they might say, oh, I know I have a food event later, so I'm not going to eat all day. And then I'll fill my plate and I'll move things around They have some really sneaky behaviors. So I would say that the first thing that I tend to notice in people is a depressive wave. And some people, it really makes them isolate more. And some people just choose not to be around other people as much. And then the other side of this is a more anxious wave, like really high energy, really wanting to be doing a lot of things all of the time, and that go, go, go personality. So you really can get two extremes here into eating disorders that you need to be aware of. The more obvious things that like moms and aunts and leaders and things would see would be, we call them food games. Like, how are they behaving around food? Do I notice their anxiety goes up because they're shaking all the time? Are they able to eat at these events? Are they commenting like, oh, that's a really bad food. I shouldn't have that. Or, oh, that's a good food. Somebody needs to bring vegetables here because we need only good foods at Young Women's Activities or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Being aware of how the girls are talking about things like that and even talking about their bodies and other people's bodies. What would you suggest that they do if they're seeing these warning signs? Well, I'm a pretty nice person, I think, in general. And I used to be pretty shy about how I would do this. And now, probably been like 15 years working with people with eating disorders, so I have a little more confidence. Now I just cut to the chase and I'm, hey, I'm really worried about you. I've noticed you're doing X, Y, and Z. And what's going on? And most people have some inkling that I do this for a living. (laughs) A little bit. They suspect. <laughs> they suspect, <laughs> right? So they know where it's coming from. But I found that being direct about it has really been helpful. And I usually do it in a loving way. Like, I'm worried about you. What's going on here? And for some people, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just really stressed about this. And I guess I'm taking that out on my eating or noticing some things like that. And others, it's been like, oh, I thought nobody was going to notice. Mm-hmm. 
And unfortunately with that, you have to be really careful that they don't go into shame. Like, oh, I'm such a bad person and mm-hmm. I got caught. Because I think eating disorders do that. The mental illness piece, they mm-hmm. want you to feel you're not worth anything. So being really supportive and then offering, hey, let's get you some help. Or, hey, I know some people. Let's get you into this person and this person and being willing to walk with them and bring them there. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's helpful to know how to navigate those situations. Mm -hmm. And we want to speak to to women who are listening who they themselves may be struggling. What pleas would you make with them? Well, I think I would want them to know that they're not alone and that it's really hard. They've probably been told for a number of years, just break the cycle or just get out of that. And maybe they've told that to themselves. Like, okay, this will be the last time that I purge, or this will be the last time I binge, or this will be the last time I restrict, or X, Y, and Z. And it's really hard to break that cycle on your own. So know that it doesn't say anything about you or your worth because you're struggling to overcome this mental illness. And reach out for help. There will be people that can help you. And I think the key is to have the courage to reach out and to reach out to someone who can help and support you. And I even think if you've reached out before and didn't find help there, try again. Reach out to someone else, ask someone else, and get directed to the right resources. Yeah. We love having experts on the podcast because I love what you can bring from your profession, but also from your personal life of faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to discuss this. What does our doctrine teach us about the divine value and gift of our bodies? I love that. Just this last week, we had our New Year kickoff with our young women, and we talked about the young women's theme. And I love the first line, I am a beloved daughter of heavenly parents with a divine nature and eternal destiny. And I think that first sentence just encompasses everything. What does it mean that I have heavenly parents? I'm created in their image. So how am I treating this body that I have? Am I doing this in a way that is divine? Am I able to accomplish the things that they would have me do? What's my purpose on this earth? I think Satan is mad. He doesn't have a body. So of course he's going to go after our bodies in any way possible. And he's going to make us think that our bodies aren't good enough, that they need to be manipulated, that they need to be changed. And then I also think anything that attacks our worth as a beloved child of God, of course the adversary is going to go for that. And we need to do all that we can to remember the doctrine here. We are all children of God. And they want us to be successful, and they want us to serve others, and they want us to form families, and they want us to form connections. And what are we doing to achieve those goals? I love hearing that doctored piece of it. And I also love the validation that Satan's influence is real. And of course, he's going to attack our bodies and our worth. And so I hope that people struggling with eating disorders are feeling validated in their struggle, that it's real, that hopefully they feel like they can be heard and understood in these things that they're struggling with, because that's real. It's so real. I love hearing that the most fundamental part of our doctrine and belief is that we are created in the image of God. So again, as you were saying earlier, what does that say about 
who we are and the inherent value that we have and the beauty in the diversity of bodies that God created. Mm -hmm. That was all created by him. So I love that. And within the same discussion, we're talking about how this doctrine can strengthen us. How can our faith in Jesus Christ and in Heavenly Father also offer healing to those who have struggled, as we've discussed, maybe for a long, long time and not found that hope or healing or able to make a change? How does faith help us then? So I love that you just brought up diversity in our appearance. There's this beautiful video, I think is Darius Gray, and he talks about diversity is of God and that we need to take pride in it. That when we go outside, we don't look at the flowers and we're like, rose, 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 rose. And we need to do that with our bodies. Have faith and have a testimony that God created you as you are for a divine purpose. And I think as we connect more to what our own individual purpose is, that we can find great healing and strength in that. I don't need to be like the girl next door or I don't need to be like this other person. I am me. And God created me as I am to complete a mission upon this earth. And I think also going back to social science and understanding the impact culture has on us, while we know that that is doctrine, while we know that God created diversity, it's good to acknowledge that society does choose and it changes the kind of definition of good, the definition of right, that there kind of is that in society, but that it is constantly changing. Oh, it's so much so. I have this presentation that I do where I show every decade how beauty standards have changed just in the United States. And it's amazing to just look over the last 100 years how much things have changed. So being aware that standards are constantly changing around us because we're in the world. Are God's standards changing? No. So who are we trying to make happy or what goals are we trying to accomplish? What's our divine purpose? Mm -hmm. Well, Lauren, I really appreciate this discussion and I love where this conversation is going. And we're just wanting to continue and ask, how can we foster a healthy body image in ourselves, especially throughout our entire lives? Yes, <laughs> it is it's a little daunting. If I think about that as a mom and as a daughter, as a sister, there are so many messages around us constantly that are telling us that our body isn't enough. And really our body image, if you really look at it, is our self-image. What do I believe about myself? I felt like I had pretty awesome guides in this growing up. My mom is Cuban, so we grew up with a lot of comments on our appearance. That was pretty common in the culture, like most um, Latin or Hispanic cultures. We just do that, right? And I loved that my dad always found my mom beautiful, and he always told us. And he always told her in front of us. And as a kid, maybe you're like, oh, stop. That's so gross. Like, don't tell my <laughs> so mom she's beautiful. <laughs> but as I got older, I came to really appreciate that. Like, my mom has hips. And thank goodness she has hips, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and just appreciate all of the things that made her a beautiful woman. And she did that for us growing up, too. I matured pretty young. And I remember being this five foot five kid in third grade and really standing out and thinking, oh gosh. And then I really use that to my benefit with playing basketball and other sports and just finding what's the good here that we can do. And like, it's okay that you have breasts and hips. This is part mm -hmm. of becoming a woman and this is wonderful, no matter what age it happens at. 
So I think the comments that we make and the way we hold ourselves and the way we treat others around us, our kids are picking up on that. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm thinking negative comments and even positive comments because that shows us where we're placing value. Mm -hmm. I just am thinking of both of my grandmas and one, just based on whatever culture, whatever her view was, she always commented on mine and my cousin's appearance. And that just makes you compare yourselves with your cousins. But then my other grandma, she never said anything anything about anybody's appearance. And I just remember having so much fun and there was a lot of levity in our relationship. And it's just like, I've learned from both of those examples in my life. And I'm just laughing because this morning when I was helping my daughters get ready for school, my face was just puffy from not sleeping super well. I'm pregnant. And it's just like, my face was puffy. My hair was messy. And me and one of my daughters were just laughing about it. But then of course, we're all just telling each other, you're so beautiful. And it's just fun because it's more than appearance. I think my daughters are getting that. They'll say each other's beautiful and I'm beautiful just literally any time of the day at any opportunity. And it's just fun that that's kind of the meaning that they're taking. It's, it's more than just our outward appearance. Yeah, I love that. And they don't have really strict guidelines for this is physical beauty, right? Right. You can be beautiful. And I love that as a compliment too, because am I beautiful on the inside and the beautiful on the out? I'll take it whatever way I yeah. can, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. One time my daughter went camping with my husband and she was like, mom, I just really miss you. I want to see you. And I woke up to these messages and I was like, okay, I'll FaceTime them. And here I am first thing in the morning, my curly red crazy hair, (laughs) right? Like insane, no makeup. And here's my daughter just like, mom, I just am so happy to see you. Mm -hmm. We really need to connect with people. And not make excuses. Like you probably said nothing about your hair. Just like, I'm so happy to see you too. Yeah. It was so awesome. And I was like, here I am connecting with my daughter. And in a way, that was also healing for me. She doesn't care what I look like. I'm very aware of what I look like Mm -hmm. right now, but she does not care at all. Yes, doesn't even see it. No. She's like, this is my mom. Mm -hmm. You've written some wonderful things, some really specific things about how as moms, as aunts, friends, sisters, as young women leaders, primary teachers, how we can help foster healthy body image in the young girls in our lives. And we've kind of started talking about that. But if there's anything more you would add specifics of how we can help foster that so that they can be in the best environment possible to move throughout their lives with a healthy start. This time of year is especially easy for conversation starters, I feel like, because we have so many messages coming at us, you know, new year, new you, do this exercise or do this diet or get this procedure. So I think using opportunities around us to have a conversation instead of avoiding it, Mm -hmm. like, what do you think about this? And what do you notice about this? And I always plant things in my kids, right? In my sneaky therapist way. (laughs) And even just talking about day-to-day life, like my kids know that I go to exercise after I drive them off. And that's important. And I tell them, mom loves to go to Zumba class and mom Mm -hmm. loves to use weights. And it's important that we use our bodies and that we try to keep them healthy for as long as possible. And I tell them, I want to be around as long as possible to spend time with you. And it's just good practice. Eat a wide variety of foods. Do exercise that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. I had a group fitness teacher one time. She asked if I was feeling stronger. And I was like, ooh, that's such a good way to talk about exercise is, do you feel stronger? Yeah, I love that too. Because getting stronger is something that I can measure and I actually have control over. We don't have as much control over our weight as we would Mm -hmm. like to believe we do. Mm -hmm. So what's something that I can actually control? With my kids, we don't do any good or bad food. It's just food. 
and I ask them to pay attention to how do you feel after you eat this? Like this morning, my daughter had a bowl of Oreo ice cream before school because <laughs> she was like, I really want some ice cream. And I was like, okay. And you know, it's funny. They'll eat it until they're satisfied and then they're done. And my kids have really learned to differentiate between what are foods that I actually like And we get comments all the time. Teachers are like, I've never had a kid in class who doesn't want the cupcakes that a kid brings for their birthday. But my kids have no problem saying, no, I don't want a cupcake today. Well, my daughter the other day was, I need some vegetables. I was like, (laughs) where do you come from? That's cute. She's kind of amazing, like at eight years old and being able to, let's not moralize food. You're not a good Mm -hmm. person or a bad person based on what you eat. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is language and what we say. Something that you've said in what we were talking about, and this has kind of come up, is the way that you speak about your own body. And I am so grateful for my mom. I feel like she modeled this really well for me. She had six kids. Her body was like constantly changing. And I was an older child. And so I was witnessing all of that. And my mom is very tall. She's 6'1". Wow. And so she looked pretty different from what most other women looked like. And she wasn't able to fit a lot of the clothes that other women were wearing. She talks about she wore men's jeans in high school because there weren't jeans that fit a six-foot-tall woman. Right. But she just really modeled so well for me. She never said anything about her own body or about other people's bodies that indicated there was like a good body and a bad body and how it should look. I love that. And I love that your mom was like, I'm going to find clothes that fit my body, Mm -hmm. whether that's in the men's section or Mm -hmm. somewhere else. And I think that's so important too. buy clothes that fit you and your body right now. You don't need to buy the clothes that like, oh, I'm aspiring to fit in these jeans Mm -hmm. someday. You deserve to look great and feel great right now. So buy some clothes that you love. Mm-hmm. And bodies look different, and we can love and appreciate that. So many great suggestions. And I love this so much and hope that women who are listening get a sense that this is a spiritual topic. I think we've talked about some social trends, we've talked about some other things that are around our spiritual well being, but that they impact so directly how we feel about ourselves. And like we've talked about, the root of all of this is what we really believe about ourselves and about our worth and about where we come from and who we are in God's eyes. And that just made me think of the scripture the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And it's just like, we are worthy and that worth is so great in his eyes. And so I'm trying to train myself too to kind of think that way. And people are worthy. They are great. They are good as they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Elder Bednar talked about that Lucifer seeks to frustrate our progression by tempting us to use our bodies improperly. Mm -hmm. And I know that when a lot of people heard that, they thought, oh, that he's talking about law of chastity. And for me, I was like, he's talking about our bodies and our body image and our eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important that we realize this is a tool that we have to use in this life. However, it may look, some of us are more able-bodied than others. And some of us, we all come in different shapes and sizes. I think that's something else Elder Holland referred to that, you know, some are short, some are tall, and that there is no universal optimum size. We're all different. And God created us differently as we are to serve a purpose here. Well, Lauren, just as we wrap up this episode, is there anything more you would want to share with the women of the church or the listeners of this podcast? Yes. I think that is so important that we each seek to form our own personal relationship with God. I think it's important that we feel that divine purpose for ourselves and figure out what am I on this earth to accomplish? 
And am I taking care of myself in a way that allows me to do that? So am I engaging in behavior that could be destructive to my body and therefore to my soul? Or am I choosing to engage in things that will help me grow closer to my Father in heaven and closer to the Spirit and more in tune with what I need to accomplish here? For me, it's been really helpful to turn to my patriarchal and other blessings, like what am I doing? Am I in line with what I need to be doing? And to have that confirmation that you are beloved. You are truly loved of our heavenly parents, and you have a great eternal destiny. Thank you so much, Lauren, for being with us on the podcast today and for sharing so many personal insights and perspectives that you've had from working with clients. We really appreciate everything you've shared. It's been so awesome to be here. Thank you. Thank you. It's been so great to meet you. And I think what you shared, because we know our purpose, it's almost like we can rise above these pressures and the cultural norms or messages that are being sent at us about what we really should be worrying about, and we can focus on what is most important. So thank you for that reminder. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We hope you'll continue to tune in and share these episodes with your friends and family members. If someone came to mind that would enjoy this conversation with Lauren, we hope you'll share it with them. We've been so grateful to hear from so many of you via email and on Apple Podcasts. We hope you'll continue to share your thoughts and feedback. We love hearing from you. Feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any suggestions for topics or guests. We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So keep this in mind as you tune in, subscribe, and continue to share these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. We'd also like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast. Until next time, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.